Welcome to Making Art Work, produced by the Arts Administration Program at LeMoyne College in Syracuse, New York. I'm Travis Newton, your host and director of the program. Today's guest is Trey Debbie, president of the Cincinnati Symphony and Pops Orchestra. Trey has held many posts in the orchestra management business, including executive roles with the Florida Philharmonic, the Alabama Symphony, and the Syracuse Symphony, where he began his orchestra management career at the age of 25. In between these various posts, Trey attended the Wharton School, where he received his MBA and subsequently worked for the for-profit sector with the Boston Consulting Group. At the helm of the Cincinnati Symphony and Pops Orchestra since 2009, Trey's overseen a number of exciting developments. Shortly after his arrival, the orchestra announced a budget stabilization plan, and what has followed is indeed remarkable given the challenges currently faced by orchestras around the country. Five consecutive balanced budgets, the elimination of all debt, including pension plan liability, 60% growth in the orchestra's annual fund campaign, and double-digit growth in attendance. Kicking all of these financial triumphs into high gear was an $85 million gift from philanthropist Louise Nippert, 92% of which directly benefit the CSO. Artistically, the orchestra has also flourished during Trey's time. The orchestra has successfully navigated a transition from former music director Pavo Yarvi to current director Louis Langre. They launched the initiative One City, One Symphony, which featured neighborhood listening parties in 2013. And also a new project called Luminosity featured the orchestra performing alongside an interactive light show. And this May, the CSO will be featured during Carnegie Hall's much-heralded Spring for Music initiative, which will mark the orchestra's 48th appearance at Carnegie, the first having taken place in 1917. Trey, welcome to LeMoyne College and Making Art Work. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And I'm sure the first thing you were g- are going to say is something along the lines of, all those things are a team effort, and it wasn't just <laughs> me doing those things, right? Well, that is absolutely the case. Well, you're a humble guy, and we're glad you're here. Um, first thing that I want to ask you is, when we hear that the CSO first performed in Carnegie Hall in 1917 and is now doing such innovative programming, new things, this light show, neighborhood listening parties, uh, the question I have is, how do you balance such history the organization has with moving the orchestra into the 21st century? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and I think that uh, as we looked at our our story as an organization, uh, we really identified a few themes that are have been in existence with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra since it was founded in 1895. And one of these was a real determination for greatness. And that, I think, speaks to the tradition Uh, presenting music at the highest level. And it's really been part of the DNA of the orchestra since its very beginning. Um, A a lot of folks coming together to support a great orchestra and to keep that orchestra great over a century. At the same time, you go back into the late 1800s, early 1900s, the orchestra has also held this value of being a place of experimentation, uh, whether that's programming new music or a fanfare project in the 40s that... Mm -hmm. uh, the orchestra commissioned and premiered Copeland's um, Fanfare for a Common Man. So these things have been running parallel for years, and it's really ensuring that we're pushing on both of those values that have been uh, in existence. And um, at certain points, you need to, I think, step back and say, where, you know, are we emphasizing one over the other? Um, and so we've, we've really tried to strike that balance, and 
and I think we're making some progress recently. Well, it seems like it. And uh, earlier today, you met with some students from Lemoyne College here on on campus, and. I wonder, you know, during that meeting you were talking a little bit about this transformational gift, $85 million gift from the Nippert family. Could you talk a little bit about the process of that gift coming through and um, sort of the the cultivation and and what it's done for the orchestra? Yeah, definitely. Um, So when I I started with the orchestra in very early 2009, uh, the institution was struggling like a lot of cultural institutions at that time. Uh, because the economy had not been friendly, um, and w- uh, we certainly were not alone. And I think there were some cracks in the foundation from a financial point of view uh, that really required us to make a sharp course correction as an organization. And so v- very early in my tenure, we initiated this stabilization plan that you mentioned earlier. And it essentially was one of the, you know, uh, premises or points of shared agreement was that this needed to be a shared sacrifice. And so musicians, board members, uh, artistic staff, um, uh, everyone was involved in sort of taking a step back. And it wasn't an easy situation, but we did that quietly uh, and announced that publicly with uh, with not a lot of fanfare, just that this was a good, solid way of coming together and running an organization. Mm-hmm. And it was really that process that I think inspired philanthropic support because if an organization is not working well within the family, it can't really expect other people to come in and save the day. Um, you know, we're not an entitlement uh, organization that uh, just because we exist warrant support. We need to we need to earn that support. So that led to a set of conversations about what we needed to do as an organization to really ensure our ongoing financial stability. And so there were many, many conversations with uh, Mrs. Nippert and her uh, her chief advisor that resulted in this this truly special gift um, that also produced a lot of structural changes in how we operate an orchestra. So we, we became the, the orchestra for the Cincinnati Ballet. We had not previously been uh, doing that work. And so there was there were fundamental changes that resulted as, um, as a consequence of that gift. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about the, the strategies that you employed. You know, you, you made a number of changes in the organization. Um, in terms of fundraising, mm-hmm. did, the, did the Nippert gift sort of... Um, start the momentum that helped you along the way in adding additional funds to your to your endowment? Was it sort of the the instigating gift or or how do you see because you've had other success in the endowment, you mentioned earlier today that you've added another sixty million dollars to your endowment in the past how many years? It's over the past five years. And so did that gift from Louise Nippert sort of contribute to to those successes as well? It's a, it's an interesting question. I think that when first of all when when the gift was announced, uh, it was announced in such a way that uh, the message was that the gift was to ensure that the orchestra had some measure of stability so that other philanthropists could also mm-hmm. confidently invest in the organization. And so that was a big that was a big piece of it and we were very clear when the gift was announced that this didn't mean that everyone else 
could stop giving or we didn't need support anymore because really the the the, the philanthropy that she expressed um, got us kind of to a stable position I would say uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, a it's a huge amount of money but it didn't um, change the level of frugality I would say that we right because they're endowed funds and for those listening who might not know what an, an endowed fund is it, the the large principal the 85 million dollars go, basically goes into an account and you're able to pull the interest off each year from that principal yeah. is that yeah. that's, that's that's the that, rough that's explanation that's essentially right and the 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 uh, musical arts fund is not housed within the CSO so it's a separate organization we have to meet certain criteria and then a certain percent comes to the orchestra so uh, it basically was part two of the budget stabilization plan. Right. Um, but it was um, – so there were certain people who felt, well, maybe the orchestra doesn't need support. So we tried to counter that as, as best we could. And there were others that said, okay, now let's uh, – we can give knowing that that gift will support the or- organization on an, on an ongoing basis. Great. So I want to shift gears a little bit um, and talk about – a wholly owned subsidiary of Cincinnati Symphony, which is Music and Event Management, Inc. Uh, It was established in 2001. It's owned by the orchestra. Um, It's a not-for-profit organization, and it operates the Riverbend Music Center, Mm -hmm. uh, which this summer will present such acts as Hall & Oates, Journey, One Republic, and Chicago. And I'm just wondering, how do you balance the orchestra's uh, core mission Mm-hmm. with the activities at Riverbend, and how do those concerts sort of feed back into the symphony's operations? Yes, uh, so music and event management uh, is, is, is a critical part of the organization, and it really dates uh, much further back than that. Riverbend was, was started over 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and the orchestra has owned that property, and we bring artists to our community uh, and it uh, it generates support uh, in a lot of cases, not all cases. It generates support to um, to fund uh, some of the educational and artistic activities that we pursue as as an organization. Uh, so it's very entrepreneurial in nature, and it's um, you know it's a unique marriage where essentially the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra has a much larger reach and kind of span within the musical world in Cincinnati than than most orchestras. So we're presenting classical concerts, pops concerts, but we're also presenting rap and hip-hop and country music. Right. Uh, and then and then Mimi has also ventured into other areas as well. So we recently took over management. Of Mimi stands for music and event management. Got it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, we all have our acronyms. Yes, right. Um, so now that we understand each other, Mimi, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> who is Mimi? No. <laughs> they they uh, we we uh, took over management of another theater in mm-hmm. town, and we basically invested three point one million dollars. Uh, through philanthropic support in this other theater. And that theater is home to the uh, uh, Cincinnati Children's Theater, which is a wonderful organization uh, that presents uh, theatrical productions to young people throughout the year, and and this theater is the home. So um, this work that we've we've done is um, spanning all things that are 
sort of non-orchestral in right. nature. Right. And so really the the orchestra is a in some ways is a larger umbrella organization for all kinds of music, not just orchestral music. You've got pop, you've got you know what what kinds of other acts come through the theater that you own? Yeah, well, so out at Riverbend, we have Rascal Flats and mm-hmm. um, Kenny Chesney and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then um, those that are coming through the theater could be comedians or mm-hmm. um, some Broadway shows right. periodically and whatnot. So it's a it's really diverse. And the other thing that we've, we've taken a special interest in doing is that there's an underground space that we call the ballroom and it's really a venue where up and coming uh, bands can have a place to perform so we want to nurture those those uh those those rock bands or indie rock what have you in that particular space uh and hopefully at some point They'll make it big, and uh, we will have developed a, a friend along the way and, mm-hmm. and a partner that um, will come back and will have a continued artistic and musical relationship. That's fantastic. You know, a lot of times I think people think of the music industry, sort of the, they draw a line between the for-profit music industry and the not-for-profit arts organization, and it seems like you're really sort of melding the two together in a way that, that benefits both. Yeah, and, and let's look, let's take a step back and think, what does Cincinnati need? Well, Cincinnati needs a thriving musical community. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that means classical music. For some people, that means you know music theater uh, and Wicked and y- y- you name it. And for others, it's, um, it is rap. It is indie rock. It's what have you. Um, but... You know, we want to be a community that's going to attract people of all sorts of interests, that we're not monolithic by any stretch. And if we can have a role in that as an organization, that that's a, that's a really positive uh, place for us to be. Absolutely. Well, um, we're believe it or not, we're running out of time, but I wonder if you'd stick around for a, a part two? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. For more information on the Cincinnati Symphony's various endeavors, visit CincinnatiSymphony.org. Making Artwork is produced by the Arts Administration Program at LeMoyne College in Syracuse, New York, with support provided by the Department of Communication and Film Studies and WLMU Radio. Our theme song was written by LeMoyne College music faculty member Edward Rahowski and performed by the Bang on a Can All-Stars. For more information about Arts Administration at LeMoyne, visit lemoyne.edu slash artsadmin or follow us on Twitter at LMC Arts ADMN. I'm your host, Travis Newton, hoping you'll join us again next time on Making Art Work. <laughs>